Episode 316, The Rant, Shane Herity, St. Francis Prep basketball legend, St. Rose alumni, assistant coach for the Terriers. I met Coach Herity in the gym of St. Francis Prep doing a workout. As a coach, he's raring to go. In this pod, we discuss his early life in Glendale, Queens, his passion for playing baseball and basketball, his Tommy John surgery or lack thereof to exclusively play basketball, to playing in college at St. Rose, to giving back to his school as a head coach. He also discusses his team, the Terriers, and their participation in the New York High School Madness Tournament. All that and more, my conversation with Coach Herity, now. The Rant has been brought to you by Geo Studios, now open. They are located one block south of Westbury Train Station in the heart of Long Island, New York. Looking to bring your art or event to life? Trying to record a podcast? Enjoy six rooms of studio space to create audio and visual content. It also includes an 800-square-foot cyclorama wall studio, a state-of-the-art recording studio, three breakout rooms for four to six people each, which include a green room and lounges, a quality surround sound with six speakers and studio lighting, and most importantly, two on-site restrooms. You know I need my restrooms. Book your space today. For more information, find us at geoevents.com. The Rant has been brought to you by The Irrefutable Magazine. Co-editor in design Kevin Sparrick and co-editor at large Ralph Fernolis decided to combine both of their talents in writing and illustrations to bring to you a new online experience from an official's perspective. They both ref, but it's deeper than officiating. They create art for all time. Do you think your brand would be a good fit for The Irrefutable Magazine audience? Want to advertise with us? Visit us at theirrefutable.com slash sponsors for more information. We are the irrefutable. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I'm with a super special guest via Glendale, New York, man. I always... It must be really cool to live in Queens and it's like this, man. Yeah, no? And has his perks. Yeah. But you know it's in Long Island, right? Yeah. Eh. I don't really... If you look geographically, like it's... Oh, this is the answers okay. that we do. <laughs> But we have a legend, uh, former St. Francis Prep Terrier, uh, also currently a assistant coach under uh, Coach Lynch at St. Francis Prep. And, of course, he's a St. Rose alumni, Mr. Shane Herity. How are you, my friend? Good. What you do- what's up, Ralph? Thanks yeah. for having me. I'm excited to have you. I know we re- I reached out with you in August, then my DMs just, they, they get slid on too much, man, and I just get I know, lost track. Guy. Hollywood. I try not to be. When did you catch wind of referee ramp? Uh, I think it was around that time. Um, I've always seen the Instagram page and then I started to see a few people I know hop on it. Um, so I started to tune in and pretty much ever since then, if I'm in a car, I don't really listen to many podcasts. This is definitely probably the only one I will listen to. Wow. That's a a high honor. And, you know, uh, we're taping this on March 10th, uh, 2021. I was able to watch one of your workouts at St. Francis prep. Um, just from a coach's perspective, that's got to be very difficult for you because, you know, I saw you doing a lot of instruction, but it's like you don't have like a path of like where you guys are playing. So you're just practicing and practicing and practicing to exactly. you don't even know what. So what has that experience been like for you of practicing, doing workouts in a pandemic? You know, it's been rough because, you know, you, you teach kids, you know, and then the whole point of teaching a kid is so they could relate into the game. And, you know, with no gameplay, it's just nonstop teaching, teaching, teaching. Mm. And then, you know, you don't really have an opportunity to see them excel on what you taught them. So it kind of gets to the point where it's like, am I really going to keep yelling at this guy for the same thing when I'm not even going to find out, 
Yeah. You know, if he really is listening. Um, so it's hard. It's hard for the kids. It's hard for us. And, you know, and we just recently got permission to allow them to go up and down. So it's been better, you know, five on five. But as far as coaching, it's it's, it's a little difficult, you know, with no end goal or even path of what we're doing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you're still trying to teach them the game of basketball. Yeah. That's and that's, game, yeah. But, that, uh, that's also important to have that type of connection because that's really all the thing that they have. Um, and we're at a weird time too, because I know that de Blasio is going to have some sort of announcement, but I know we talked off air about it's really been three, four months of limbo and who knows what's going to happen. And I think it's all speculation too, because I'll ask somebody like you, I'll ask somebody like coach Lynch of like, what do you think is going to happen? Then you'll hear somebody will say like, I hope we open, which is like their want. Mm -hmm. What the, what a need would be is, you know, and with all things not equal, Maybe they're just doing low-risk sports. I don't know. Because you think about, especially like somebody like you who's played in the league, you know what March is. You're already past the city championship. You're already past federation. So it's like... It's, it's the best time of year for basketball. I mean, what what have you been hearing on the ground for now? So basically, yeah, just like you said, the past four months, you know, you'd get a little good news here and there that, you know, maybe that they're going to come out with an announcement that, you know, they're going to find a way for high-risk indoor sports to play. And then it was kind of like this click and bait, you know, one week, you believe it, you believe it, and then you won't hear anything about it mm. for another two, three weeks. Um, but it's, it's a little frustrating, you know, you see schools in Long Island, they had their whole schedule, they're ready to play. That's got to be tough and it's to like, see that. You see St. Francis Prep, obviously we're in Queens. The schools that are playing in Long Island, are some, some schools are five miles away from us. Yeah. So it's kind of not fair, but, you know, there's so much that goes into it. You know, it's not just you guys could play and you guys could play. I know the city's at a high risk. I know there's a lot more people coming in and out. Um, I wish there was would have been a more proactive approach to it. Not saying, you know, all right, you guys could play in February. Here's what it is, da-da-da. Um, but at least more information for the people who are waiting. Because then you know what happens. You tell one person this, they tell one person this, and now everyone has a different answer about when we're going to start. Right. Um, so I would just say, man, I wish we had a concrete answer. Like, oh, if we aren't going to play, cool. But let us know. Yeah. You know? But um, it's we're at the same spot as we were in December. So yeah. just waiting on an answer, waiting on direction, and then just keep working through it. Yeah, just keep working through it. And obviously, I saw that when you guys were working out. I mean, you guys seemed like you were practicing as if it was like a playoff game. And I, I, to me, it was it was very surprising because also it's weird because – I haven't been able to ref in the city, but I've been able to ref in Long Island. And as soon as I started getting in a groove as an official, it got taken away because it's over. Yeah. It was only like a short season. So I'm not even sure if it was worth it. But at the same time, I was very happy to get back on the court. But I think by the time that I was able to shake off all the rust, it was already over. So, um, But I did want to ask you about just the coronavirus in general for you, Um how are you holding up? How's your family holding it up? And going back a year's time when you were at your first year as an assistant coach at St. Francis Prep, you know, you guys had basically, an, I don't know if we could say an improbable run, but you had a magical season yeah. that wasn't, wasn't being seen through the whole time. So, you know, going back to those beats, how are you during the coronavirus? How's your family? And going back in March, when was the moment that you took all of this really serious? Yeah. So it was actually after we won the Brooklyn Queens championship, um, 
we were getting ready to play for the city championship and all this news started, um, you know, about the virus and about the spread. And um, when we, we actually went to go play our first game of the city playoffs at um, Stepanak and um, who were, we were playing Scanlon and um, no one was allowed to come. So it was just us and the two teams. And uh, it was, it was super weird. Cause I was like, like, just like everyone else, so confused with what's going on. And then, no idea what was going to happen a few weeks later. But um, that moment, I didn't fully grasp it. Like, that wasn't my, oh, the coronavirus is serious moment. But it was a moment like, oh, you know, something might be coming. Mm. Something might be coming. But as far as the realization of it was when I was watching the NBA games on. And, you know, typically just like everyone else, when the Jazz had to go back into the locker room and, you know, they had, dudes with hazmat suits on going in, shoving things up their nose. That's when I was like, you know, this is people, you know, they wouldn't just make this up. This isn't something. Um, but man, the coronavirus has, has done so much uh, for me, like mentally, physically. Um, when I also, when I realized that um, one of my buddies, it was his birthday last March and um, he had like a little party at a uh, bar in uh, the city. And I remember looking outside at one point of the night, and it was probably like one thirty. And you just looked down a city block, and there was nothing, like no people. And come on, it's New York City. You know, you see people everywhere. And that's another moment where I was like, "Damn, you know, they're not lying. <laughs> this is this is something." Mm. Um, but my family's good during it. Luckily, no one, you know, got really sick from it. Um, I actually had it. My whole family had it. How was your experience with it? I was fine. So when I first, the only reason I went to go get tested is because I found out someone I was hanging out with. This was um, in December. I uh, found out they had it. So I went and got tested and I was actually negative. So I was like, oh, you know, I'm good. And then two days later, I woke up and my back was on fire. And it was like the only thing. Like I had no, you know, no stuffy nose, no crazy cough, but my back was killing me. So I was like, all right, let me see. You know, just went through the day. And then the next day I woke up and my back was still killing me. So I was like, all right, let me just go get tested again just to double check. And then when I got tested, um, I did test positive and then um, I lost my uh, sense and taste. That one, that was surreal. Yeah, what is that like? Oh, You're, what are you eating? Do I you have motivation to eat? Oh, no. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Man. Mm. Like, I was, you have so many thoughts in your head. I'm like eating a slice of pizza. I'm like, am I ever going to be able to taste this again? Wow. But yeah, it was it was crazy because you like you're eating food, but you're not. Ta- it's honestly something I can't even like put into words. So me. you could have ate a paper towel, yeah. and it would have been yeah, it would have been as uh, salivating as a steak. Like I drink water now. It's so funny, you know. How people say water don't taste like anything. It tastes like something after you have the coronavirus. <laughs> I tell you that it tastes like something. But um, yeah, so no one in my family, um, you know, had it to a serious point, which I'm extremely grateful for. Um, but I know a list long of people who did and my heart goes out to them because yeah. this was a terrible year. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's something that we have to not lose sight because oftentimes we think about the economical repercussions. We also think about the mental well being of a kid, but we also got to think that we've lost so many people, right? You talk mm-hmm. about just losing your, your taste. Somebody's lost their life. So I think even though all of this is very unequal into how it's affected people, it still affected somebody somehow, some way, right? Um, when you did lose your sense of touch, sense of touch, sense of taste, 
did it really color the way you thought about coronavirus differently as opposed to when you thought about it before of going outside looking in like I haven't got on it, knock on wood, and then all of a sudden you get it? Yeah, no. So I was actually like taking it pretty serious from the jump um, just to protect my family. I got two older parents, uh, both over the age of 50. Um, I'm around them a lot. You know, I got a niece and a nephew in the house at the time. You know, I didn't know anything about if it could get to kids. So I was strict with it, man. Like the first two, three months, I, I wasn't leaving the house. So I was in here till then probably like June, May, you know, taking the precautions, the mask. Um, but then, yeah, definitely when I had it, because I've spoke to so many people who've had it, you know, no symptoms, a lot of symptoms. And then I just got the, the uh, taste and uh, smell symptom part. And I was like, damn. <laughs> I don't wish this on anyone. And then the back pains, but, you know, the whole part of it is I just, and what my boss recently at work just had, it and he had one of the craziest coughs I've ever heard uh, the past two weeks, but it just shows you, you know, every, it happens different to everyone. Mm. You know, whether you have it or not, whether you have someone who lost from it or not, the bottom of the line, people have to live. Yeah. So I, I'd rather someone living than me going out to, you know, go to the park in May and risking that. So that's why I was real strict with it at the time. Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Listen, right before I got here, I heard something very interesting on the news. They said it. It was equally the same way as, like, the fastest year of our life and the slowest year of our life at the same time. And I found that a very interesting thing because you just think about the repercussions that we just had. Like, I mean, so many negative things have happened and so many positive things have happened. Right. And I, th I think it really has to be what your outlook is on it. Um, during this whole time, especially like in the summer, because I know you were a junkie for basketball, yeah. whether that be playing or coaching or just watching something. I I'm pretty sure that the bubble was like oh. uh, uh, a heaven, oh, yeah. heaven sent thing. Because remember, at that time, it was like they cut out all the fat. It was all the good teams. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, they're, they're pretty good. And on top of that, I mean, it was starting at like 2 p.m. Yep. Right? So it was like 2 p.m., 4 p.m. was like finally and it was at least something. What were you doing in those dark moments, especially when the rims were down in the city? Like, what, what were you doing to get your basketball fill? Man, I was watching a lot of highlights from our previous season. Um, but during that time, I watch a lot of NBA. I watch a lot of I watch. You watched the last watch dance twice? Yep. I watched it throughout the whole thing. That was like the highlight of the beginning of my coronavirus. Every Sunday, make food so I could watch that for two hours. Um, great film. But... um. Yeah, so what, what, what was I just going on? With, with basketball, how did you get your field there in the summer? Oh, just yeah. playing, coaching? So, like, when the bubble came, I was ecstatic. I watched, you know, almost every game. Um, but as far as during, before that, you know, from when the NBA stopped from March all the way up until July, um, all the rims were down, <laughs> it was 2K. <laughs> as funny as it sounds. Still playing. It was 2K. Um, and then once it's so funny, you said the parks, once they did put the rims back up, oh. we were actually in the back at, uh, St. Francis prep in the park in the back going up and down with the guys. So as soon as, you know, we got that news and we weren't allowed to be inside, we went out there. Um, so yeah, these dudes have been working, man. Like I know you saw that you saw it last week, um, the video of them, but yeah, when basketball took that pause, it was, it was crazy for me. And then when the bubble happened that was like a sigh of relief but also the best part of that was you got all these dudes you got the top players in the world right yep and there's no fans there's no distractions no background noises you're throwing the best what was it 16 teams in a bubble and you're telling them to play and i loved it 
I love it. It was like it was an AA, it was like AAU style, you know, no fans. It's who's going to show up. There's no home court advantage and who's going to play. And that's, I was like, and I felt like such an old head when I was thinking that way. I was like, yo. And then like all, and I was telling these dudes this at at prep and they're like, oh, come on, come on. And I'm like, no, you got to think about it like that. For real. Um, But yeah, that's, that's pretty much, it it was hard to, you know, try and do anything basketball related. Like you said, no, there's no rims. There's no nothing. There's no film. But um, yeah, I was just watching, you know, old clips, new clips, trying to get these guys recruited, um, talking to coaches during the pandemic, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's got to be tough for all the seniors that are happening, but, you know, as long as they find solace that we're we're all in it, man. Yep. It's like, just like old age, like, mm-hmm. you, you can't make fun of somebody being old because you're getting old too. Yep, for real. <laughs> During this whole time of a year of just, I couldn't even know how to describe this, like, as people, as when we get older and, and this is like we fade into memory because also at the same time, this will end at some point. It just seems very long in the moment. What do you think you learned about yourself during this whole time? Um, there, there definitely was a lot of like self-reflecting and thought because this for everyone this has to be the year you spent the most time by yourself. Simple as that. Um, the most thing I learned about myself is no matter what like I was doing in my life at the time because everything came to a pause. Everything, work, basketball, social life, everything. Um, if you, like, if you're not bought into what you're doing, and I was thinking through this through the pandemic, if you're not bought into what you're doing first, no matter what it is, it could be sports, education, work. If you're not bought into what you're doing first, it's never going to work like ever. So like if you're starting a new job Monday, for example, purposes, and you know what the job is and you don't like it and you know, you don't like it, you're not bought in. You know, like a, a no, no, there's no money in the world. There's no uh, manager in the world that's going to change that. And that's something I realized during this pandemic. I was like, you know, if I want to do something, you got to convince yourself first. No one's going to help you do that. And that's the biggest part that I realized about myself is once I convince myself that I could do something, I'm going to go dog on and do it. And I'm going to lock in and I'm going to do it. But if you don't have that thought and that conversation with yourself first, I think it's almost impossible. Do you feel like before the pandemic, you didn't have that mindset? Because you did achieve a lot of things at a high level. Yeah, no. I think I did, but I didn't think about it like that. You didn't. You weren't able to identify yeah, it. So I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to put my mind to this and I'm going to distract everything outside of that and I'm going to go get it. Because mm. I, I have that kind of mentality where I just like naturally, like you put a challenge in front of me, I'm going to attack it. But this pandemic, you know, another mental aspect, I just, I saw things through, you know, a different light. And and now I tell these kids, that's how they have to play basketball. You know, these dudes nowadays, they got the long arms, they got they got everything athletically. If you don't know how to play in your mind, yeah, and you see it nowadays. Oh, that don't see, matter, yeah. You see so many kids who have ridiculous amount of talent and athleticism, and then you give them a ball and you put them in a gameplay, and it's like, whoa. You know what I'm saying? So I I guess what I would say about the pandemic, what I learned most about myself is you got to be mentally in something before you're in it physically. Mm. And that comes in any aspect. Yeah, I completely agree. So I want to set the scene. Last Saturday, I'm at a workout at St. Francis Prep and I see this young man over here and I see you dribbling, going through, crossing the legs and you're, you know, giving direction. And I saw a lot of the things that you were doing in me 
when I was your age because I started coaching at Kellenberg when I was 19, right after I graduated. And it was all for like frivolous things. Mm-hmm. I just wanted some Jordan 11s. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just go to the AD's office. Let's get back on the staff. Let's, let's try to figure out how we could get a stipend out here. And really, that was it. I, I didn't know it was going to be like a whirlwind of like, oh, I mean, this is, well, first in the beginning, it's like the separation because like, these are my juniors. It was on the team. We just won a championship and now they're like, I'm coaching them. But as you get older and you have a little different story because you went away and then came back and also you're well known in the basketball community that's ensconced in St. Francis prep. But at the same time, you have to prove to yourself that you don't have imposter syndrome as a coach. But, uh, you know, I found it interesting because you're in a, a precarious position because you're trying to get that development and you're trying to get that confidence so you can build and ultimately become a head coach. But, Obviously, you have such a love of sports. We just talked about the bubble and how you were fiending for basketball. Now, having said that, where did you grow up? What did you play growing up? What did you play in middle school, high school, and then in college? Yeah, so I grew up right here in uh, Glendale, Queens, my whole life. Um, my dad's from the city, from Harlem, and my mom's from Astoria. Um, growing up, actually, a lot of people don't know this about me. Uh, I was a baseball player. Mm. I, I didn't play any AAU basketball until seventh grade. I started playing with the Long Island Lightning. Um, but, yeah, every weekend up until seventh, eighth grade, I was at baseball tournaments every weekend. So baseball definitely was my number one sport growing up. I played basketball. You know, I played CYO. I, I was pretty good, um, but just never played AAU. And then as I started to realize that I like basketball a lot more, that's when I started to play AAU. But, yeah, it was baseball, uh, basketball growing up. And then even when I got to St. Francis Prep, I played baseball and basketball. My I played baseball my first three years. And what happened was I was a pitcher. So I needed a procedure done on my elbow, most common one, Tommy John. Um, and then I really had to make a decision at a young age where, you know, am I going to get this procedure done and pursue both sports? Or am I going to pick one and, like I was saying, attack it and focus on one? And so that's a pretty deci- pretty big decision I had to make at that age, and I chose to not get the uh, procedure, and I was just going to play basketball. Um, so, But I was actually pretty successful at baseball at prep, too. We won a city championship uh, my sophomore year. I loved the game of baseball growing up, but I knew it was something. I had a lot more fun playing basketball. Baseball was number one thing, um, and then I had to make that decision. And, you know, it wasn't – the the hardest part of the decision wasn't the sports. It was I liked basketball a lot better than baseball at the time. Always, yeah. Oh no, no. Um, I I guess once you know I started hitting like the the high school interest age, so like seventh eighth grade, I was realizing you know I have a lot more fun playing basketball, especially mm. you know when you pitch, and if you're not pitching, you ain't playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. So um, basketball that w- that decision was clear, and then so that's when I stopped, and then. Senior year, I was just strictly basketball. I didn't play baseball. Um, but, yeah, growing up, it was baseball all day, all night, and then, you know, basketball for fun. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's how my background's a little different coming into the sport of basketball. Um, you know, so I wasn't training growing up, you know. But I was at the park. I got an older brother. He's uh, 31. He used to take me to the park all the time, you know, run fulls with all these old friends. And then... It came to that age where, you know, I'd have to sit down because I was too young, you know, too young and too chubby, too fat, you know, whatever it was at the time. And uh, I wasn't I wasn't able to play because 
like like those reasons I just said. And I told them, and I, and I tell my brother this all the time. I said, one day, it's going to be you guys sitting down. I, I'm not going to be the one sitting. <laughs> and I joke, I said that at his wedding. Uh, but yeah, now the roles are reversed, and now they're always going to be sitting on the bench. I'm always going to be playing. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. So I got a couple of thoughts of how we can just like intertwine that. I do find it interesting that you did gravitate towards baseball earlier. Why do you think that was? What is it because of the pitching position? Do you think that's why you liked it? Because I, I know it's a very unique thing. And mm-hmm. also, like, with the Tommy John surgery, you had Tommy John surgery? No, no. Right. So you were still able to shoot your jump shot? Yeah, so that it's funny you brought that up. So I didn't really feel it at all. Like, after it was just, you know, the doctor said, you know, if you want to keep playing baseball and pitching, you're going to need this. You know, you're not going to be able to pitch. Um, but as far as basketball wise, you know, you should be fine because, um, you know, you're not really throwing it at the seam because there's no velocity. Yeah. You're just um, but I felt it in college, you know, because, you know, at St. Francis private high school, you know, you're, you're practicing two hours a day. You know, you're trying to get as much shots up as you can. But then you get to college, you know, you get a thousand shots up a day, you know, mm. rapid paces. And that's when I started to feel it because, you know, boom, boom, boom. And then but, you know, it wasn't I wouldn't say it was a huge thing difficulty to deal with but um I definitely felt it throughout my career um I always think you know what that procedure would have done like even if it wasn't just for baseball like what it would have done for me basketball wise but you know it wasn't that much of a big deal Mm. um but as far as baseball growing up I think it was more of you know all the neighborhood kids that I grew up with we all grew up playing baseball so we were all on the same travel team you know every weekend playing this playing that um and yeah, not that many, not that many hoopers in Glendale. So yeah, yeah. I would say that's probably why I was more towards baseball, and mm-hmm. I was pretty freaking good at it. So yeah. Well, listen, I'm I'm really good at baseball umpiring, and a lot of my basketball referee friends are like, "Why would you ever do that? It's outside. There's a clock. There's no clock." <laughs> yeah. And I like it. I mean, there's really nothing else they to it. The, I just they got the two hour limit, right? They do, but it, it like two hours in a basketball game just doesn't feel the same as yeah. two hours in a baseball game because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, ball one, <laughs> catcher has to throw yeah. the ball. Depending you have to do, it is too. you go outside your, your pitcher's mound, you do your little, whatever you do, <laughs> wait, you get the yep. signal. You get, it's, it's just like a whole a lot of extras in baseball. It's just a process. Yeah. It's a process. But I will say that for my eye speed come to basketball, when I'm behind the plate and I see a curveball. I mean, it's it. There's no better thrill to me, officiating wise. You yeah. just don't get that the same way. Um, but also, just that whole piece of playing in Long Island Lightning. When I started refing CYO out here, mm-hmm. I mean, this is turned up. Like it is super turned up, right? You got. I mean, it's and it's like real good competitive. It's not like that in Long Island. It's just yeah. not. Mm-hmm. I mean, the intensity's there for the parents and all that, but. <laughs> I mean, there's a nice ecosystem of, of, you know, Brooklyn and Queens and CYO to me, you know, ever since I've done it, I just, I couldn't believe how organized, I couldn't believe how good the teams were. I mean, it was. Yeah, no, good- CYO back in the day was, was legit. You know, I, I, to be honest, I haven't watched much of it. It probably still is, but like that was where you were going to recruit who was going to high school. Yeah. Cause I, I remember when I was in eighth grade, um, that was the first eighth or seventh grade. It was the first time I met coach Lynch cause he was an assistant coach at prep at the time. And he came to watch one of my games right here at Sacred Heart in uh, Glendale. And it was actually me versus um, Jermaine Bishop. He uh, went to Cross for four years, same age as me. And um, so it was pretty pretty cool thinking about it now. It's like an assistant coach at St. Francis Prep was watching a CYO game with two two guys who are going to be in the league in the CHSA in, you know, next year. Yeah. 
So yeah, the the CYO aspect over here is it, it's pretty it's pretty cool. So even that whole piece that you were saying that you played in the Lightning at Island Garden, I just feel like Long Island basketball the way they're developed is much different. I don't I'm not saying that they're less talented. Mm-hmm. It just feels like such a much more aggressive animal out here. Why do you think there's a disparity between the lines of Long Island versus the city? Yeah, I would think so just because Long Island, like Long Island guys, when they grow up playing, they're usually playing against each other. You know, like a Long Island guy versus a Long Island guy. I think with the guys in the city, you know, you got guys from Queens playing against guys from Brooklyn. You got guys from the Bronx playing against guys from Brooklyn. So, you know, there's more of uh, the three boroughs instead of, you know, than just Long Island. Um, but then that's why also people try to do it in like a media aspect, you know, like Long Island versus the city. And, you know, they don't put the Long Island in the city. Um, but I would just say the, the park aspect, because like, yo, like 10 years ago, people used to hoop in the park. If you didn't have your respect in the park, you know, you didn't really have it much, much any other places. Um, I don't know how the park game is out in Long Island. I know in Queens, you could go to five parks literally in these two miles and every court will be packed. I don't know about nowadays. I'm talking about 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, that might be a thing moving forward now. Yeah. Especially. Yeah, definitely. Now that we all like see how precious of a commodity outdoor sports was for real by the time it was, um, the spring, I I did want to go back to you and St. Francis prep. Um, what ultimately led you to go there and then just talk about your freshman year playing sports. Mm -hmm. So actually it's so funny. St. Francis prep was third on my list. So, well, you know, what was, you what was, the, let's hear it. Let's, what was first? First was Monsignor McClancy. Okay. My brother went there. I had a good relationship with all the guys who worked there. Second was Archbishop Malloy. Okay. And then third was prep. And then, so after the tax exam, I took it. I got into all three schools. I think I was on a, the waiting list for Malloy. Um, but I took a risk putting prep third. Cause at the time, honestly, it wasn't my favorite, but back to the baseball thing. A lot of the kids I grew up with playing baseball, they were kid, they were a year older. So all those kids that were a year older were already in prep. Um, so they actually did a pretty good job of convincing me to go there baseball-wise. And then, obviously, Coach Lynch coming to see my games basketball-wise led me to think, you know, I could have the best of both worlds at this school. Uh, I heard great things about it. You know, they have girls. Clancy <laughs> at the time didn't. Um, but, yeah, so... Pretty much it, it came down to baseball and basketball. And mm. Lynch was there basketball-wise, the reason I came. And then I knew so many people that already went there baseball-wise. Let's talk about your freshman year. So you go to these schools, and, you know, I went to Kellenberg. I most likely had a very similar experience with you of, like, you know, freshman basketball is like, if you make this team, like, you're set for the next four years, right? <laughs> yeah. So, like, you can either be at obscurity where and, – and it's always like this. There's like 80,000 kids trying out. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's do a left-handed layup. All right, they're all eliminated. <laughs> you you know what I'm talking about, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But man, there is there really is no better feeling than making the freshman basketball team. No, there isn't. What was your freshman year like? So, my freshman year, um my coach was coach McCormick. Um great guy. Um he uh he did a lot for me that year that I can't I can't even explain. Um he um it's so funny. Also, my freshman year, I broke my foot. So I tried out, played, and then the next week I broke my foot. So I wasn't really in, like, the tryout aspect, but I, I was going to make the team. Um, but it was all about 
Daebo tournament. That's the huge freshman tournament. Everyone, first time to put your name out there. And I was like, yo, I'm trying to play in that tournament. And the injury I had, it was like five to six weeks. It was a, a fractured foot. And I only had like three weeks done. And the Iable tournament was in like a week and a half. So I, would, I still would have been out for like a week and a half. And I told coach and I said, listen, I'm fine. He goes, and I was like, I want to play. I said, I've been talking about this tournament since I was in sixth grade, you know, playing in this freshman year. Everyone's there. And it's so funny. I went to a doctor and I took the cast off. So I, I, I went to a brand new doctor. I pretended my foot was fine. <laughs> I said, hey, listen, doc, um, I hurt my foot a few weeks ago. I just want to double check that it's all right without giving that. And I don't recommend anyone else to do this. No. Take care of your body. Yeah. Don't listen to me. <laughs> and um, so I ended up getting cleared and being able to play. But, man, that freshman year was awesome. Um, we didn't lose a game at home. We were one of the best teams in the city. Um, the Coach McCormick, he at the time, he was every weekend we practiced at 7 a.m., Saturday and Sunday, 7 a.m., um, so, you know, he, he really even brought a bunch of little boys, honestly, 13 year old kids. Um, and he started to form us into, you know, little, grown men. Um, and there's a, um, I forgot what, what he said. There was a line he used to say, and, um, it was, you know, if you, I forgot the exact words, but if you're, um, if you're five minutes early, you're late. You know, if you're 10 minutes early, you're on time. If you're 10 minutes early, you're on time. And if you're 15 minutes early, you know, you're doing good. And he always went by that motto. And, you know, I think he was the perfect stepping stone mm-hmm. for for um, freshman kids. And, uh, yeah, he helped us a lot, man, for real. That sounds so cool, man. Um, now, talking about ascending to the varsity level in basketball, I mean, let's be real. One of the top leagues in the country is the CHSAA in Brooklyn, Queens, in the yeah. city in general. Um What's that like playing there? Man, that was playing in the CHSA. I'll probably talk about that when I'm 80. <laughs> um, that it was night in, night out. It's it's like the ACC of high school basketball. L- literally what it is. Um, but it's, uh, so freshman year, just going back to that real quick. Uh, I went up against Justin Wright Foreman, kid on jazz. That's my guy. Um so we, at the end of the freshman year, we were talking, it was so, so back in time, we were talking on Facebook, like the inbox oh on Facebook. He was going to where, construction at the time? No, he was still at King okay. at the time. So we're talking about next year, you know, me and him used to jo- joke around, like, you got to guard me, I got to guard you. On you, Facebook, this is yeah, all on Facebook. Facebook. That's how you know, this was in 2010, 2011. Um, and, you know, he would always message me like, yo, stop putting them people on me. How about you guard me? I was like, no, come on, I got to save my energy for offense. You crazy? Um but then it was like we'd reach out to each other and it's like because he was going to be a sophomore on varsity, you know, so was I. And then um, like leading up to my first game on varsity, um, I knew I was going to be on the team, you know, Leary, Coach Leary, rest in peace. And Lynch made it pretty uh, obvious. And then um, our first game was against uh, Matt Ryan. So he was a kid my age who was pretty, I wouldn't say highly recruited, but he was recruited at the time. Uh, he was like a six six sophomore. He kick and shoot the lights out. There. And you was never nervous with all this. Like you, you you're a dog. You, you to be honest, like not even trying to sound like that, but yeah, like the fact that I was getting the opportunity to play against these dudes, you I just was, you just wanted yeah, to embrace. I was like so pumped. Like, and I knew I knew the team we had at the time. My sophomore year, we weren't good. Um, 
but I knew that, you know, this is like, dude, in eighth grade, I was watching these games in, in the crowd, like, yo, I want to play in this league. And you're here now. And then now you're here, yeah. not too far from that moment, you know, it's like a year and a half later. Um, that first game, but yeah, don't get me wrong, though, that first game, I was nervous as shit. Oh, yeah. Iona was really good at the time. It was a Friday night game. I was starting, and um, I ended up having like 16 points, so... That game, you know, meant a lot to just get everything out. Um, and then I was actually in an article after the game, and and then I read that article, and that's kind of when it hit me that it was surreal. I was like, "Yo, this league is this league is no joke." And mm. but you know, if you perform, it's filled with opportunities. This league, every night, you know, Tuesday night for like St. Francis Prep, you're playing against Iona, Cardinal Hayes, a Stepanak, and it's like. That's not a Tuesday night game in any other league. You know no. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, as far as playing in the league, man, it was every year. It was just nonstop. I mean, I, I was in when, you know, Kadeen Carrington and Mike Williams was at Lachlan. Uh, Christ the King had Raleigh Alkins, Adonis. Um, they were loaded. Uh, Cardinal Hayes was loaded. Every team was loaded. Um, but it's just that that aspect that you built by playing in this league. Like, even if you're on the worst team in this league, you we got you have to play against these dudes, you know, every day. So yeah, it's, like, it's like it's like a valiant zero and fourteen. If yeah, because the league is just and that if good. you don't show up, you're gonna get embarrassed, and you're gonna hear it too. <laughs> like the CHSA crowds ain't no joke. Um, but yeah, man, playing in the league was just an experience like no other. I mean, every night the dudes you see it on TV. You can't watch a college game on TV without hearing of a dude from New York. Yeah, I agree. And your whole baseball experience just went in the city chip too. Um, did that feel the same way when you guys were playing or was it a, a different feel? Because I'm sure it was e- not equally as competitive. It's a different type of competition, but did you have the same competitive feel? Uh, yeah, I would say I had the same competitive feel cause that's just how I'm, you know, wired. I just, I just love to win. That's just the only thing I want to do. But as far as fulfillment basketball wise, like, you know, Tuesday night, uh, Tuesday afternoon, we play Zavarian in baseball. You win that game. It ain't the same feeling as you winning a Tuesday night league game you yeah. know, in front of a thousand people. Right. Um, so that's where the difference kind of is, mm. you know, not in more in the, the sports aspect, but more of like the out, the crowd and everything that comes with it. But yeah, that's why the basketball brought way more excitement to me. So we talked off air that you were a prolific scorer um, at St. Francis Prep and you got all the way to third. But there is a caveat because freshman year, you didn't even get a chance to play. Mm-hmm. Um being a prolific scorer like that, was that something on your mind you were trying to get to that part? I, and I know that's just like an individual accomplishment, mm-hmm. but I also think that it encompasses like just a competitive spirit. Um, also, at the same time, when you started getting to those junior years, the senior year, um, when you started thinking about getting to the next level, what was that recruitment process like? Yeah, so, um, yeah, scoring-wise, um, we didn't have many dudes who could score. So that's why it was like, you know... If, I got this mentality that I got to win a game. If I got to score to win the game, then that's what I'm going to have to do. Um, but, you know, everyone growing up, you know, when you play basketball, you want to score the ball as many times as you can. Um, but also what had helped me with scoring-wise is I had another point guard on my team who uh, ended up playing at Concordia. His name's Michael Field. Uh, he was legit. He, so we had a Division two backcourt, and he'd bring the ball up, and that put me in, like, a shooting guard position. So my sophomore and junior year, I was basically playing the two with, without, you know, bringing the ball up. And um, that really put me into a position where 
you know, I had to, and the way I score is, you know, I'm not six, six and I'm not ridiculously athletic. And at the time in high school, I really wasn't like a knockdown three point shooter. So I had to find something other than wide open threes and then just trying to bully my way to the rim. Cause that, yeah, I was pretty bigger than most guards at the time. Um, and I really got a mid range game at prep and, and as corny and cliche as it sounds, I probably don't even shoot as much mid ranges as I did than I, what I did at prep. Mm. Um, you know, cause we used to run the motion offense with Leary. It was all about coming off down screens and, you know, getting to that elbow and either rising up or making a play for someone else. Um, but then my, my scoring definitely started to evolve because, um, you know, as I got older and I was taking basketball more serious, it was like you had to add things to your games. It's like, you know, you're playing against these dudes night in, night out. They're going to scout you. You know, if you're shooting mid-range shots and they're stopping that, how else are you going to score? Um, so then as my career went on, you know, I developed my three-point shot a lot better. Um, and then my senior year, I was kind of playing the point, you know, doing a little bit of both, but getting ready, you know, for the next level. I knew I wanted to play at the next level, um, but I didn't know where I was going. So my recruitment process was kind of crazy. It was kind of like all over the place. You know, I had division one interests, division two interests, division three interests. I remember one week after the season, it was like April of my senior year. I went to visit Baruch College during the week, division three. I went up to St. Rose on the weekend. And then I had a phone call with Leary and the head coach at St. Francis College in Brooklyn. So it's like a whole week. I'm talking to a Division three school, a Division two school, and a Division one. Um, but yeah, so as far as you know, me growing up as a as a player throughout a uh, prep, I would say um, it, it had a lot to do with uh, probably Lynch and uh, at the time the assistant coach was Mike Cavateo. Uh, he went to St. Francis Prep. He played for only one year. He transferred from King, and then he went to St. John's and uh, Holy Cross. Um, basically, just you know, skill work. Because I wasn't you know super skilled. I didn't have a crazy handle at a young age, and I knew at the next level, the only position I was going to be was a point guard. I could pass, but I just didn't do it at prep. Um, so I had to develop my game to to be a point guard at the next level because I knew that was what I was going to be. And at St. Francis Prep, like before Lynch was there, and rest in peace, Leary, we didn't run no pick-and-roll offense. So the amount of exposure I got to pick-and-rolls were very limited. You know, we would run our motion offense, you know, run the offense and get out and transition. So then that's when I got to college is when I developed more into a point guard. And because I remember I started my first college, my first career college game, and I was like, at 100 miles per hour the whole game, zooming. You know, no no pace of play, nothing. And uh, didn't really know where I wanted to go, but obviously at the time, you know, every kid's mind was to make it to the highest level. You want to go Division One. Mm-hmm. At the time, I, I wouldn't say I was a, a really mature kid because that is nowhere near it. But I did know realistically where I could play and where I couldn't. So that's when I started to take into mind. But also my senior year, I was a little frustrated because I averaged 20 points a game. You know, I was going up against top-notch dudes every night. And then you would see, like, you know, you would go go after the game and see, like, you know, this guy got an offer from who? And I'm like, huh. Like you roasted him last night. What's up with that? I just had 25 on him. Right. And And he had, what, 10? 
But you know that that's the thing. And now nowadays, these kids got to deal with it like times fifty yeah. with social media. Because they'll go, you see a workout. I mean, I'm pretty sure that once that video came out, they're yeah, like, "Oh exactly. man, where my video went?" Exactly. Yeah. So it's like social media now. It's like, oh my god, these kids. Uh, like we were talking about last week. It's like you know, you see a video of one of these kids playing or a highlight tape of them dunking, and then you got to play against them, and they're like, oh, "Oh, a little nervous." Like, nah. Back in the day, I was like, I, I want to play them. You know. I'm going to go at them and they're going to go out with me too. Respectfully though. Like, yeah. It doesn't have to be a disrespect thing, but it's going to be like, yo, we're sharing the same court. I'm trying to win just as much as you. Yeah. I don't care what school you go to, mm-hmm. you know, what your record is. I'm just going to play. So that whole piece of, you know, you knew that you were realistic in where you could be a good fit in the next level, right? St. Francis is a division one school in Brooklyn. And then you talked about St. Rose and then another D three school. Um, with that D2 school at St. Rose, what made you feel as though that was the right fit for you? And talk about your career there. Yeah, so um, what made me really realize it was the right fit was after I took a, a recruiting visit up there. I met the team. I played with them. You know, me and Coach Bury chopped it up. He's a legend. Uh, Brian Bury, he's one of the biggest Division Two coaches in the world. Um, but, yeah, so it was basically came down to them and – a few other division twos like with interest in the area and then um St. Francis Brooklyn. So the option I had with St. Francis Brooklyn was, you know, it's the brother school of St. Francis prep. Um, coach Leary was really cool with uh coach breaker. Um, so I had the opportunity to walk on there. I wouldn't be paying much because of, you know, it's in right in Brooklyn. It's the brother school. Um, you know, but he would want me as a walk on, you know, obviously if you work your way up, you, you know, I'm not going to say no to you not playing, um, but you know, I, most of the kids nowadays would have took that, you know, like for like the division one thing in their bio and in their Instagram bio. Um, but at the time I was like, you know what, I got this, this opportunity right here in front of me, you know, a great school, a great conference. And, you know, I just took it, you know, I just made my, put my big boy pants on and made the decision. And then, um, I don't regret it at all, man. You know, I had a great career up there. Played there four years. I started my first game as a freshman. Um, made two NCAA tournaments. And, you know, I really became from a boy to a man there. And um, that has a lot to do with Coach Bury, Coach Perno, the staff up there. Um, and also the guys I played with. And also, like, a surreal moment I had when I was playing up there is at the time when I got there, um, they had Chris Dorgler. Uh, he went to Malloy. Um, but I used to watch him. Like, I remember watching him play against Prep. And I was in eighth grade. And I'm like, yo, me and him are playing on the same college basketball team. I was like, that's kind of wicked, <laughs> you know, uh, because he redshirted a few years, so he was there a little extra. Um, but that was like a surreal moment when I got to college. I was like, yeah, this is this is this is legit. You know, you got a team full of ten high school superstars. So, um, yeah, my career at St. Rose really those those four years did did so much for me. Uh, like. I can't even put it into words, but um, making the tournament up there, uh, meeting guys that I'm going to be cool with for the rest of my life, you know, good guys, good friends outside of basketball. Uh, the relationships I developed there is. And then also um, they got an assistant coach up there right now um, who's got connections with St. Francis Prep. He went to St. Francis Prep because um, uh, Coach Berry actually stepped down uh, my junior year when I was there. 
and um, the assistant coach took over. So it's pretty cool to have a uh, St. Francis prep guy as an assistant coach there to the alma mater I went to. That's so cool, man. I wish I had that type of experience. I always just get two quick fouls when I played at Kellenberg and I was just back <laughs> on the bench. So I never had any of these stories that you had, but it was really cool to see that it, it wasn't even coming from a place of like, it, it just was all your competitive spirit, right? Mm-hmm. You just wanted to continue to improve yourself. And I think you've proved that time and time again. This whole time when you were playing baseball, playing basketball at CYO, going to St. Francis Prep and then playing at St. Rose, what was your perception of officials growing up this whole time? Oh, I love officials. I love I love and hate them. But the hate, that's a good word. Because my if anyone's ever seen me play the game of basketball, I'm extremely emotional. Extremely emotional. And, um, you know, not a lot of refs like that. But it was never, there's never was a disrespect thing. You know, if a ref saw him, they had St. Francis prep, they might put their hands up, go, oh, we got to do a change. But it was never, you know, I never said anything foul to a ref, but they had their hands full when they worked with me. Mm. Because also, I don't know if you know this about me, but when I played basketball, I talked a lot. A lot of shit talking. But uh, it's just the way uh, the way I play. It's another thing that just gets me going. But once again, respectfully. You right. know, there's, there's a... Uh, the difference between that. Um, but uh, no, I love officiate, uh, officials because I love messing with them, especially now that I'm a coach. And now I joke with, uh, oh, I'm terrible with his name. One of the guys in the CHSA, uh, he saw me this year and he was like, I'm so happy you not playing. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yo, don't think you're still not going to hear me though. You might just only hear me every time you come down to this end, but you're going to hear me. So it's, it's it's relationships like that that make it cool because it's like all the refs that are in now they ref me just a few years ago. Yep, yep. So um, it, it's it's cool to I think they like me a lot more as a coach now. And that's also the gauntlet of you know quality of officials too. Oh, yeah. So it's not coming from a place of like oh this guy's not good. They're oh, yeah. always going to be top notch officials in the double A in the Catholic League. Uh, but would you ever officiate yourself? Have you ever considered it? I've definitely considered it. Um, it's definitely something I would consider in the future. Um. Yeah. No. Uh. No real objections. I think, I think you'd like it. I think I would too. Yeah. Honestly, because it's it. I wouldn't say it simulates playing basketball, but at least you're up and down, and uh-huh. you always win. You yeah, just yeah, get the money. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I would throw out too many texts. Though. Nah, they'd have to put my whistle. No, because I think I think in the beginning you'll you'll because I, I think in the beginning too. You're trying to unlearn the game the way you know it. So just like how you said, mm-hmm. you played two guard, then you played point guard in college. You have to get so used to like not looking at the ball because you're mm-hmm. so used to going, okay, we did a motion offense. So I do this, I screen away. Yeah, yeah. And you know your response, you're not going to go for a rebound mm-hmm. unless you're close to the to the paint. But in refing, it's like, okay, here's my area and I have to look off the ball. And it's it's so hard to separate that when you're a player. Yeah, and that's a lot of people don't know. People yeah. think that refs just go out there no. and just see it and call. It's like, nah. No, man. It's 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 very much a People skill. People don't even know you got to pass a test to become a rep. <laughs> that, that's that's number one. It's like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe one day it's in your future. Me and, yeah, me and Coach Lynch, I was like, oh, this guy looks like he can, he can ref. Well, what was his answer for that? Can you say that on there? He's like, I keep telling him. I keep telling him it's good money. He should do it. But he's always like, he clearly keeps looking out for you. And speaking of Coach Lynch and Coach Leary and uh, your coach that you talked about in St. Rose, all these mentors that you have, if you want, uh, you know, I want to give you the opportunity just – Mention all the great mentors that you've had along the way, what they've done for you. And, you know, now that you're giving back as a coach, what do you think they've done for you? And, you know, what, what kind of information do you dispense? How have they shaped the way you've, you've helped people after you? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so I actually had like a unique situation with both high school and college. So in high school, I had a legendary coach in Coach Leary, you know, over 600 wins in the record books, left and right, um, old school. You know, we're going to run a few things, execute it, and we're just going to play harder than the other team. You know, with a young assistant in Lynch, I had the same thing up at uh, St. Rose. You know, Coach Bury was a legendary, over 600 wins uh, college basketball coach with a young assistant in uh, Coach Mike Pernell. Mike Pernell's from Long Island, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, I used to coach at Kellenberg. Yeah, Kellenberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's why. I'm in. That's, yeah, that's my guy. Um, but yeah, no, I just want to take time on individually on each of them because those four people did a lot for me. Um, starting with Coach Leary, rest in peace. Um, man, he had such an effect on my life. It's like so crazy. I tell people this all the time. Like he was more than just a basketball coach to me. He was more of like, I wouldn't say a father figure, um, but I definitely would say like, a role model because there was just, there was something about him that you could even ask people. They still don't even know what it is. I still don't know what it is because he would get you to a point, you know, when you're playing basketball, he, he, he was raw. He was uncut. He would give it to you in practice. You know, you're, you're going to hear it if you do something wrong. Like you're at the time you're 15, 16, you're like, you're going home. And it's like, damn man, screw him. He's always yelling at me. He's old. But then he talks to you before a game, and it's like, yo, this dude's got you ready to run through a wall. Mm. And like, and looking at it now as a coach, that's something you you can't teach right. or learn. You know, yeah. you just got to have it. And I'm still trying to figure it out, like what he does that made you do it. Because you, you could hate him during the week. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, you got yeah. a game on Friday. Yeah. It's like, that's my guy. I got his back. Let me go run through a wall from him. So that's something I really admire from him. He was like super, super motivator for me. And um, helped me out with a lot of the uh, the recruitment process. Mm. And then Coach Lynch, yeah, Coach Lynch was a, a huge help as well because um, he was like the X and O's guys because what really was supposed to happen was Coach Leary told me that he was going to stop coaching after my junior year. So then my senior year uh, would be Lynch's first full year being a head coach. Uh, that didn't end up happening, so he ended up staying one more year. Um, but, yeah, Lynch was – one of the best assistant coaches ever because um, he was, he, he got it. You know, when Leary would yell at you, he'd be the one who would have to tell you why he's yelling at you in a nice way. Um, but it just shows you how much he learned to see what he is now mm. as a head coach. Cause he's like an X and O's guys, but he's a player's coach at the same time. So he, he's, he's a, he's a really good coach as well. And the thing I loved about Lynch and I still do is, you know, he, he, he cares, you know, him and Leary, they care. You know, they care about what you're doing, you know, outside of basketball. And same with uh, Coach Bury and Coach Perno. You know, they really just care about what you're doing. My son always cares about what we're doing because <laughs> he's always trying to interrupt. What? You want me to open it? Okay, so I'm going to open up a Poland Spring bottle. Here you go, Mason. Thanks for interrupting for the 500th time. Normally when he does this, he'll just go, you're going to edit it anyway. So, like, what does it matter? So, because he just knows. I'll probably edit this out, but can you please? Okay, so now now we're back on the podcast. Now we're back on. <laughs> um, yeah, so those two those two really um, helped me in that process of becoming, you know, into a man and then, you know, leading me in the right direction eventually to uh, Coach Bury and Coach Perno up at St. Rose, um, another two New York guys. Um, Coach Bury, same thing as Coach Leary, you know, old school. You know, we're going to run our stuff. You're going to run it the way he wants it, and we're going to play hard. And um, same with Perno, you know, he was the assistant coach, young assistant coach, the X and O's guys who would have to 
explain it to you what you did wrong because the head coach ain't going to explain it to you in a nice way. Um, but yeah, no, those two really helped me at college, you know, develop more into a man, you know, and that's just not even talking basketball wise. Um, you know, they, they really do a good job there about, you know, caring for you, making sure you're the right person. They, that's one thing I knew about everyone on the team. They recruit the right people up there. Um, you know, there's no locker room cancers. There's no nothing. Um, and you know, that, that's the way you got to do it. And that's one thing all four of those guys have taught me is like, you can't have a successful basketball program without having a culture first. So if you don't have a culture, no matter what you do after that, it's, you know, you might have success for a year, you know, and then fall off three years. But if you don't have the culture set in place of what you want in your program and how you want to run it, then it's just going to be a mess. Mm. And that's something all four of them taught me, um, you know, just based off structure, you know. Yeah, and, and I think that you have a very unique experience that you've had all of these old school coaches, but then also yeah, somebody then else that school. has the new school. Yeah. So you were kind of comfortable with, with both angles, and I think. Yeah, I liked both, and it showed me both. You know, because, you know, at the time, it's like everyone's, oh, I want a player coach. I want a player coach. It's like, nah, you need those guys. Yeah, you know, yeah, you yeah. need those old school heads that are going to tell you, you know, excuse my language, shut the fuck up and listen to me. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's raw, it's uncut, but, yo, it's nothing different than when works, your father right? yells at you, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, it works. So you just got to keep, you know, that mindset that, you know, of course they're going to yell at you. And I catch myself, like, when I'm yelling at kids today and they're like, I could tell when they roll their eyes and they're probably in their head like, damn, they're like, Shane's this, annoying this, this shit out of me. But, you know you ain't playing no more, right? That's, yeah, that's probably what they're yeah, saying. Yeah, 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 that's probably definitely what they're saying. When you when you left St. Rose, was it like, um, were you trying to play overseas? Was it like a death to you that basketball was going to be over competitively like that? Or what were you trying to do? So when I left, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do 100%. Um, whether that was to keep playing and to pursue opportunities or to, you know, not necessarily hang them up, but professionally and take that thought away. Uh, yeah, that's probably, I, I took so much time into that decision. Um, but I, I, I knew, you know, if I wasn't going to go play, one, that the opportunity still would possibly be there. I, obviously, if you get too old, then no. But I'm still young at the point where, you know, if I wanted to get back in shape for a year and go do it, I think I could do it. Um, but also, I knew that I was going to be coaching. Like, so me me and Lynch, you know, we spoke throughout my whole college career. Um, and we'd always joke around and text that, you know, that day you play your last senior game, he goes, you're on my staff. And I was like, yeah, definitely. And so I knew that I'm always going to be around the game. So whether I'm going to pursue it professionally to play, which is great, you know, that's definitely something that's on my bucket list. But I knew that if I wasn't going to do that, I was going to coach and I was going to be involved in the game heavily. So mm. it wasn't really, you know, much of a heartbreak decision, more of a what do you want to do at this point in your life? Yeah. So I think you're in a precarious position because you're still young. You still feel like you can play, mm -hmm. but it's hard to separate those two things. And I also just know where you are in your coaching career where sometimes you often think like you look at a kid and you're like, why can't they do it mm -hmm. as opposed to thinking of it as, and this is what happens over time because you were just talking about when coach Leary was coaching you, you did not understand how on one side he would yell at you, but then on the same side at it during right before a game where you would run through a brick wall for him. You know, those things are kind of like what happens when you just get more mature in the game and you understand. So like, even for me, this is my 21st season. So 
I kind of know, okay, this is the archetype of this girl. I got to speak to her like this to get mm-hmm. the most out of her. Because right now you're just doing it with sheer force. You're like, I'm still good. I can show you what to do. But I don't know if you're thinking of it as like, okay, I got to be softer with them. Mm-hmm. I got to be more aggressive with, and that comes with over time. Um, is that is that how you feel like right now in, in your career where you're trying to find your footing of like what your style is going to be? Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely say that. Um, but I also like, I, I tell these kids, like I told them at the beginning of the year, I have like three goals that I've set for myself as an assistant coach, like for each kid that I have come into the program. And it's simple. It's one, I want to help them first is to develop them from boys to men. That's number one. Two, I want them to become better basketball players while they're here because of me, you know, because of working out with them. And then three, I want them to move on to college, whether it's for free or not, and play the game of basketball if they want. So those are the three things I told them that's what I want them to do in that order too. Mm. So first, I want you guys to become, you know, respectful men. Two, I want you to become better basketball players than when you first stepped into this building. And then three, I want you to go and play for a college, whether it's for free or not. You know, that's what, those are the three things I want as an assistant coach. What kind of advice do you give these seniors right now that they're kind of in limbo? Like somebody like Todd, who, I mean, you clearly see he's, he's raring to go. Yeah. Um, Cause that's not something that you've been able to navigate. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're, you're with him in the trenches, but there's like, yeah. 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 No, my heart goes out to that case. So I feel so bad. Um, that he got his senior year taken away from him, obviously at no one's fault. Uh, but I just keep telling him the same thing and he knows that he's a pretty smart kid for his age. Just keep pushing, just keep pushing no matter what this is. Like you said earlier, this is going to come to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, just keep pushing, you know, the way I, and I tell, I told Todd this, the way he is, he's kind of like me. Um, he just doesn't, he doesn't give a fuck. So, even this whole situation is going on. Like last year, we won the Brooklyn Queens Championship. It was hard for him to crack a smile. I'm like, come on, take this <laughs> tough guy shit off. Smile for once. Come on, bro. Um, but no, yeah. So he just got to keep pushing. Um, no matter where he goes, he's going to be successful. I know it. So um, that's pretty much all you can really tell him, to be honest. Yeah, man. I think you can see a lot of the attributes that he possesses in in, in you, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, this guy definitely has it. And, you know, definitely continued success with him. And we'll talk about the event that we're going to have. But uh, after everything you said, what do you think of the attributes? What do you think it took to get to where you are at this moment in time as a coach? Uh, yeah, I would just say um, everywhere I went, I just proved people wrong. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, going into high school said I was just, you know, going to be a baseball player or, you know, a regular guard at St. Francis Prep. You know, we weren't really good at the time. Um but at St. Francis Prep, you know, my junior year, we won 10 league wins. We started off 6-0. and We were, like, top 10 in the state. Um, and then my senior year, we were, like, 500. Um, but I made two all-city teams and then went to go play on college. A lot of people said I wouldn't, and I did at a high level. And um, proved people wrong from there, too. I started my first game as a freshman, went to two NCAA tournaments, you know, scored over 800 points, 300 assists, rebounds. Um, and now I'm back to coaching. Um, so there's really, you know, I, I guess it's just, and even if someone doesn't say nothing, it's like putting that voice in your head. It's like someone you saying need you that. can't. Yeah. It's like, no, you can't go coach. Did you tattoo a chip on your shoulder? Have you no, ever thought I think about I did. it? I, I already got a tat on my shoulder. <laughs> I, I don't know if I got any more space there. 
What do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go? And ultimately, where do you want to go as a coach? Um, winning, you know, winning and getting our, our dudes recruited. Um, you know, my, my main goal right now is to make St. Francis Prep one of the best high school basketball teams in the city for the for as long as I'm there. Um, and that's the number one goal. And I'm going to work towards it. Mm. We're off to a pretty good start. Yeah. <laughs> If you can, um, what do you think is the most stickiest situation that you've ever had as a basketball player? And what is the most stickiest situation that you've had thus far as a coach? Stickiest situation. I would say for me personally, it's controlling my emotions on the court. Um, at the When I was in high school and young at the time, you know, if I got a bad call against me, I'd do the whole arms raise. You look you like know, you. You look back. like you do. I'm just yeah, looking yeah. at you like this. So, you're definitely like that. Now I look like at myself, and I look at these kids, and if they do it, I bug out on them. I'm like, oh shit, I did this. Same thing. <laughs> I used to do the same shit, but now I'm at a different age, and I realized that that it, you know you're not doing anything. Um, but sticky situation would definitely be controlling your emotions, um, whether it's to a ref, your teammates, the coach. Or yourself, you know, and that's another thing I like about Todd. He shows none, you know, he shows no emotion, um, good and bad. Um, but yeah, sticky situation that would be for me. Um, as far as coaching, I would say is um, trying to keep your cool. Uh, that would be my stickiest situation because you know, you know, if you tell a guy to do something you ask and he doesn't do it, you know, you can't bug out every single time. Someone doesn't do something you say. So like you said, also, it's it's you got to coach everyone different. You know, you, you can't coach a few people the same. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's another thing I realized as a coach. It's like. Yeah, like bottom wise, the culture, you know, you treat everyone the same. You treat the best player in your team as the worst player in your team. But as far as the way you coach them, I think it's totally different because a lot of people, you know, there's some guys who react to a coach screaming at them and they don't take it well. Yeah. There's some who could just take it, you know, that are just built for it. But so that's, I guess the stickiest part about coaching. Yeah. And that's what I'm figuring out just only a year in. You'll get there. You'll get there. We'll we'll do a part two and you'll be like, yeah, "Yeah, I know exactly what to do now. (laughs) I feel like Oprah Winfrey when I referee, uh, when I coach now. Uh, But obviously you'll, you'll get that through feel like you'll, I'm sure that you'll make like a, a serious blunder and you're like, oh man, I really hurt this person's feelings. Like, mm-hmm. let me rein it in. And then one day you'll be like, I should have pushed them harder. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really a push and pull. But then as you, as years go on, you'll be like, I know exactly what to do with this kid. Yeah, definitely. I know exactly what to do with this kid, but it's like a big experiment. And I, I think it's always shaded by, you know, the success that you've had in basketball, but you got to also understand that it's not a one size fits all thing mm-hmm. that you did and how you did it. Because, you know, some kids, they, they, and oftentimes, like, when you're a kid and you don't have that dog, mm-hmm. there has to be a dog in you. You just have to figure out how to unlock it yeah, because, you, it you know, easier for you because you just had it, mm-hmm. right? So that's always a tough thing. But um, if you can pinpoint one moment as a player, what do you think is your best moment as a basketball player? And also, thus far, what is your best moment as a coach? My best moment as a basketball player um would probably be making the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, just from watching it as a kid and growing up, you know, it's like March Madness. You know, everyone considers the month of March, March Madness. So it's like making the tournament actually, you know, you know, you're only eight teams in the region getting there on a Division Two level. Uh, so it's, it's pretty surreal, you know, when you're walking in and you got your name on everything because, you know, NCAA tournament this, and we made it two years in a row. 
Um, but that whole aspect of, you know, like we were talking about the bubble, bringing the best teams into, uh, you know, one tournament, like the Island Garden tournament, that, that's, that stuff excites me, man. Mm. Um, but, yeah. And then as far as coaching, the best moment was by far winning uh, the Brooklyn-Queens last year. Uh, it was a sick game. Um, came down to the last shot. Uh, thank God the kid on Zavarian missed it because I don't know how we would have lived with a buzzer beater loss and then a pandemic. Yeah, yeah. What, uh, what I don't you... think I'd be on this podcast right now. I think nah, I would have gave my, uh, told Coach Lynch I'm done for a little. You'd be talking about different types of sorrows. I, I'm sure that we would still get through this, man. But um, before I get into my final question, we did want to talk about that New York Madness tournament that we, it will be ran at Island Garden, hosted by Referee Rent and uh, Nick Sakitas from Heat Elite and, of course, Jim Fox at Island Garden. Um, when you first initially heard of it and just, I guess, the excitement of kids, what was it? What were those initial feelings of going like, wow, we can play for something? Yeah, I was like, is well, first, I remember when Lynch first told me about this and as we were talking about like getting false news about a season, I was like, is this true? <laughs> At first I was like, is this true? Like, you're not going to tell me next week that this was just, you know, a proposal. Um, but then when I found out it was, you know, legit, I was super excited. You, you would have thought I was playing. <laughs> But um, honestly, I'm I'm just so happy for these kids, you know, not even me, like for these kids, because I'm thinking about like everything that's happened in this past year. And I'm like, yeah, I'm 23. I'm, you know, I'm a pretty grown man. And I struggled through this pandemic. Yeah. You know, there's was times where I was like, yeah, I want this to end. And God, I just thinking of like a 16, 17 year old kid and I just feel awful for them. Um, and it's because, you know, growing up, sports is your getaway. You know, your getaway from school, your parents, everything. And then, you know, kids get a lot out there. And, you know, it's like you, you get kind of scared, not in a bad way, but, you know, because you, you just don't you don't see the kids every day. So you don't know what they're going through. You don't know if they need someone. And then just with the past year, with everything that's going on, I just felt bad for them. So to hear something like this and to see how happy they got, I mean, you saw how happy they are. Um, Yeah, that's just be. I'm just so happy for them to play. Yeah, I can't wait. And listen, the fact that you have enthusiasm for it, at least Coach Lynch has something to play for. Yeah. And it's really a confluence of circumstances that we can have PSAO schools, we can have Catholic League schools, and then play for something like super meaningful, like the same beats that we would have for a state championship, federation championship, because that's what it'd be like. It's just really cool that it's going to be an event. And, you know, also for a, a kid like Todd Rochelle. He's going to have the ability to have film mm-hmm. that a college coach can see. And you know, now that we're used to the Zooms and the live streams yeah. and all that, they're all, they're all going to know what to do. Yeah, and and I think what, what is a blessing for you is that somebody like Todd has always continued to work. Mm-hmm. He didn't worry about that. Just like when you were saying that he kept working, now he's going to be able to get that fruits of his labor where now he can, can get some on somebody's radar. Maybe he can get you know, some, some offers from there. And, you know, that's really a good thing. And I think also just from a referee side, you know, at least for me in Long Island, which, and I would never thought in a million years that I'd say it's beneficial to ref in Long Island more than the city (laughs) that worked out this year, because I was able to have a season, even though it was shortened, it was truncated and it was weird. At least I got to ref. And, you know, for, for all my brothers in stripes, now we're giving an opportunity for them to be also showcase where they weren't able to do it in their Catholic League season, some of them in their college season and some of them in their PSAL season. So I'm happy that we're able to bring that all together. But, you know, what brought us together is both of our love of sports and specifically basketball. Basketball has brought you so much joy in your life. It's got you so emotional on the court yeah. with referees and coaches and everything. Um, you know, it's, it's got you a scholarship. It, 
It's brought you back to coaching. It's really developed your mind and made you a man. Yeah. What do you think basketball means to you? What is it given to you in your life? Man, besides, you know, family and friends, basketball has given me everything. You know, it's given me an education, a degree, lifelong friends, and it just gave me this love that I have. Like, you, you think, like, you know, when you love something, you can't love something more. It's it's like a relationship. Mm-hmm. Nah, basketball, man, I, I, I can't get rid of it. You know, I really can't. And it's, like, so crazy how happy it makes me just to watch. Like, like I watch I watch women's basketball. Like, people don't understand. Women know how to play the game of basketball. I, I'm, I'm a college it girls is, basketball official, so I feel it you. It is. They shoot better than 50% of these guys. They do, because they, they work on different skill exactly. sets. They're not worrying about, like, above the rim play. Yeah, so... I, I I watch all basketball. What it comes down to, it's it's made me who I am today. I'll be forever grateful for it, and I'll always be in it. Mm. This is how I know you're a real G, and you you're really good with distractions because Mason has been trying to interrupt us this whole time, and now he's trying to get the Wi-Fi. But yeah, we're we're wrapping up, Mason. So <laughs> let's wrap up with with Uncle Shane, and then we'll we'll deal with your needs. Uh, but man, I thank you. I'm so happy that you were able to get through all these distractions, but. It's been really a pleasure to listen to your story. I look forward for next week when we do this tournament. Any final words you want to say before we part ways? No, I just want to say thank you for having me on. I appreciate it, and I look forward to being on in the future. Yeah, and I also think that you have a good radio voice. Just put that out there if yeah. you wanted to do something. You hear that, radio people? <laughs> <laughs> for Coach Herity, My guy. this is Ralph the Ref. This is The Rant. We are signing out. Peace.